Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and, and turn to the letter to the church at Ephesus. I'm not going to say book, but I, I want you to realize it's a letter. It's a letter to brothers and sisters. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians. We're going to start through this book. I don't know how long it'll be. It may take us a long time. It may take us a short time. It doesn't really matter as long as we're studying the Word of God. So, First of all, I'd like to say it has been an adventure while Chuck has been preaching in my life. I've made it, guys. I made it. Okay. I, split, I tried to split my finger at the very beginning of his preaching. Um, then I got what me and D call the influenza. <laughs> and it, I think its desire was to kill me, for sure. I think it really wanted to kill me. And then I hurt my back 15 years ago, and it decided it was going to go on vacation this past week without me. And so it was hurting, hurting like crazy. Then I get adjusted and lined up, and I decide I'm going to go running the next day for four miles, and then it kills me. And they could have killed me, I think, when I went back to the chiropractor. So <laughs> um, I'm doing good. So the fact that I'm walking around is a grace of God this morning. I'm honestly telling you that because Friday morning I couldn't get out of my truck to go to work. So it's been an interesting, adventurous six weeks in waiting to, to preach Ephesians. <laughs> But I'm here. I've made it today. Uh, and um, even some of our recent interns, I'm not going to name them, <coughs> Samuel and Brittany, told me that I needed geriatric yoga <laughs> because I'm so inflexible. Jessica will tell you, I can't, I can't sit with my legs crossed without falling backwards. So that's an issue. But anyway, one thing... <laughs> I've had plenty of hands laid on me this past week. <laughs> the chiropractors, chiropractors. But anyway, through all of that, one thing that I've learned, and I learn it every time my back goes away or anything like that happens, is I am not in control of my life. Absolutely not in control. Now, I could probably make it a little better, but if, my, if the Lord wants my back to go out, it's going to go out. No matter, I've had it go out while I'm brushing my teeth, and that's another story. But I mean, so you're not in, I'm not in control of my life. Having your back go out, and Sarah will probably testify to this, when your back is done, it'll make you real dependent, real quick. Like, I've had to get people to help me up, because I can't move when I'm laying, like, laying down. They have, I have to have people get me up. So it'll put, make you real dependent real quick. But one thing that made me think of just yesterday when I was looking at this, everyone likes to feel as though they have control of things. Would you not agree? You like to feel like you have everything together. You got, you got a handle on stuff. Everybody likes to feel as though they have control of things. It gives us a sense of security. It gives us a sense of power. It gives us a sense of meaning. And it's not always a good thing, not always, to try to fight to have control of your life or to have control of things in general. Sometimes you just have to let the ones over you deal with it uh, because they're more powerful than you they have more authority than you and the point being God is in control of everything he's in control of everything in your life there are things that are beyond us and beyond our control and that's okay you have to realize that that it's okay that things are beyond your control don't grasp for them don't do those th types of things but they are never beyond the control of God Never. 
There's not one thing that is out of control of God's power and his authority. Not one thing that doesn't cross his desk that he either has to allow or that he's decreed at some point in time. So if you already have your Bible turned, um, it'll be, we'll start in chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 through 14 to give us some, some context. This is what I'm going to do today. I want to go ahead and set the table a little bit, because introduction sermons are not really my favorite, because you have to give out a lot of information. But what I'm going to do is give out a lot of information, give you a background, kind of color a little bit of the picture of what's going on in Ephesus, what's going on in Paul's life, a little bit. I'm not hitting every detail, but I'm going to give, give you a, a little bit of a picture so you'll understand why this letter was written and what he was thinking when he was writing those things. But after I do that, we're going to get into a little bit of the very beginning of this letter. So that I'm setting the table now so you don't, it's not really a normal type sermon, it's an introduction, an introductory sermon to the book of Ephesians or to the letter of Ephesians. So... If you, have it, if you have it in your Bible, go ahead and, and, and you're willing and able, go ahead and stand with me and we'll read this together. We'll read down to verse 14. Paul, an, apo- an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we're reading this, I want you to imagine reading a letter. You know, you've been sitting there waiting, and you finally hear, you know, okay, we got a letter. And you have people that are reading. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time. Think of it as a letter, not just a book in the Bible. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. As you can tell, Paul is full of Jesus right now. He is so full and amazed at at, at the work that Christ has done. And he, he's doing it on purpose. And you'll see it all throughout the letter. He starts off with, God being so powerful and things that he's done and then he goes down to where we were and then he shows us how to live how to live this life but in verse 11 in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace and peace this morning in knowing a little more about you and who you are. 
Lord, I pray that any flesh I may have would be in the way, or that would be in the way that you would remove it. Any pride, anything, Lord, move it, remove it far away from this place. Lord, let us look at this letter in humility and know who God is and how powerful he is and help it to strengthen the weak and help it to humble the proud this morning as we read through these things. Lord, you have given them to this, uh, give, given them to us, uh, your church, to minister grace and peace to us. Lord, let, may it do that perfectly without us being in the way. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Be with my words. Be with the ears of everyone here, including my own, to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, like I said, I'm going to give some background. It's going to be really, like, factual. But what what it's going to do is give you an idea of what's going on instead of just jumping right in and not knowing the things that are going on in Ephesus or the things that's going through Paul's mind or why he would be writing these things to the church at Ephesus. We're going to give you some of these things so you'll have somewhat of the of the drawing. You'll have the outline of the picture. You won't just have like stuff slapped on the wall. You'll have an outline. You'll have some color to it. You'll know what's going on. So if you were in... In our discipleship group, you've already got a head start. We've been in it for some weeks now. That's what we've been learning how to study with is that book or this letter to the Ephesians. But um, what I like to call this letter of Ephesians is Romans Jr. is what I like to call it because it is concise. You have Romans. If you had the letter of Romans what you, and you looked in the bookstore, what you would find is it would say, Paul's Systematic Theology and it would be like that, that thick, and you'd be like, man, if I wanna, I'm going to go look for a systematic theology, it'd be Romans. You pull that out, and he's laying out doctrines through the whole thing. The difference between Romans and Ephesians is Ephesians has that compacted. It's really, it's really concentrated in the first couple, of, uh, for first couple of chapters. Then he goes to, you have God, then he has like the theology of God, then he has us. What, what we're like in the second chapter. And then he moves on to how do we play these things? How do we put these two things together? And how do we work with one another? How do we, uh, we've been made alive in Christ, but then how do we take it to the world? How do we live it out with one another? And when we've been balanced out by those first two chapters, that's how Paul is laying it out. So it's more of a practical, it has more practicality in the last part of the, of the letter than it does in Romans. Romans is very much so very doctrinal. This is a doctrinal book. It's what they call didactic. You can pull out doctrines, pull out things that we need to know about. But I call it Romans Jr. because it has a lot of the same, same things, but they're really squeezed in. They're really, really concentrated. But, the, but overall, I think the letter is beautifully laid out in love for us and love for us and our brothers and sisters to see God's work to our lives and to see God's work in our lives. You'll see that all through this, all through this letter. You'll see it, uh, the, the care and the love that he's given towards these uh, people at Ephesus. So the question I want to ask first, who, who was Paul before Christ? Paul is the one who wrote this letter. There's no reason to question that he wrote this. It was written the same way as he did the other letters. But who was Paul before Christ? Some of you may not know who Paul is. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, lay that out. Who was Paul before Christ? Paul was a Pharisee. He was a man among men in the realm of Pharisees. He was, he was basically what you would call um, somewhat of a, I guess, a legalist. Like they've made up these rules. They follow the tradition of the elders, which was basically you had the law that was true to God. And then what these guys did, they built laws around it 
that they could control people with or made them or they thought kept them from getting too too close to breaking the law and what it what it turned into is what um uh, they would uh, power over people uh, by saying if you don't keep our law then you're breaking the law and so they turned their law into the number one thing and they and they uh, you saw Jesus all the time tearing down um, their mindset tearing down their laws and he says not one they, people thought that Jesus was tearing away the law from the people and he was basically saying no I'm tearing down your law in a paraphrase I'm tearing down what you've made the law is not going anywhere um, the rules are still here but Paul was a Pharisee he was one of those guys like the smartest of the smart the purest of the pure is what the people thought um, he was taught by one of the greater teachers of the day Gamaliel he sat at his feet uh, learned from the best and he was like even of the best tribe the one the prestigious tribe the tribe of Benjamin so he was a he was a man among men among the Pharisees and he was also when when the Christians came about they started following Jesus he was a murderer of Christians he would plot out ways of how to kill them. We've got to stop this sect. They're tearing up our, our rules. They're tearing up our kingdom. They're tearing up the things that we have in line that keep people under. Um, I don't know what's going on, but we've got to get rid of them. And he was plotting ways. From the time he was a little boy, he was there standing holding the coat when Stephen was being killed. That was him, Saul. That was his name beforehand. So that was Paul before Christ. And this is the same man that's writing these letters in this New Testament. It's a testament to the grace of God. So who is Paul? That was who Paul was before Christ, but who is Paul when he's writing this letter? Paul was saved by Christ on the road to Damascus when he was knocked off his horse and blinded. Knocked off his horse by Christ himself and put on his back. That's in Acts 9 if you want to read that. Jesus revealed himself to Paul and told him what his mission was to be. A total 180 degree turn in the direction of following Christ. You talk about repentance. Stopped him dead in his tracks on the way to go kill more Christians. God stopped him. He didn't ask him, hey, come, come, come follow me. He's like, no, you will. You will do this. this will, you will be mine. You will do this. You'll, you'll be on this mission. You will speak for me. And that's how it's going to be. And that's a little bit what we're going to talk about in, uh, today uh, to a degree. We'll show the differences of the thing. But... That was who Paul was beforehand. That's who Paul is when he's writing this letter. The letter is considered to be one of the prison epistles. He, was, he wrote this letter while he was in, in, in prison or incarcerated. Some people say he was, he just, that he was in his own quarters. Maybe some people think that was in his house, like house arrest. Um, but I think it just meant he had his own place with his own guard. But he, uh, needless to say, he was in prison. He was un- incarcerated. Um, he was in prison in Rome uh, when he wrote the letter around 60 to 62 AD. And you find that in Acts 28, um, 16 through 31. We won't read that, but just for your, for your notes if you want to go back and read it. It was also written around the same time as Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. You'll see a lot of the same things um, written in those books. They sound really similar. Some people think that they were written around exactly the same time and they were sent out. Um, even the book of Ephesus, some people think it wasn't, initially intended to directly at Ephesus but to the the church at Asia Minor which is modern day Turkey and so it it got circulated with all these at the same time so you had Ephesians Philippians Colossians and Philemon were all circulating around among the churches at the same time and so that is a little bit about Paul now Ephesus now what is Ephesus like you need to understand where Paul is at the time when he's writing or the church that where they are who he's writing to and what they're dealing with in that area 
Ephesus was one of the most prominent cities in the first century in Asia Minor. Like one of the prime, it was it was to be compared with Alexandria, um, in in Egypt. It was that big of a deal. Um, there was it was so popular. Its most popular monument, what you may know about this, was the Temple of Diana or Ar- Artemis, the goddess of the moon. Uh, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. So they they had this this tall uh, statue uh, to the goddess Diana in the middle of their in the middle of their city. So that, this is kind of the, the physical setup. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world in Ephesus. The city was described uh, by some of the people, some of the inscriptions that they found. The city of Ephesus was described as the nurturer of the goddess Diana. And the goddess in turn makes Ephesus the most glorious, in quote, like the most glorious of all the cities in that area. So they had this thing going on. They thought Diana was taking care of them. They were worshiping Diana. It was very occultic in their practices. And you'll see that come out later in the letter that Paul addresses those things. But uh, that city was called the Nurturer. The readers of that time, the believers who were receiving this letter, they would have um, really appreciated the contrast Paul makes in the letter describing Christ's church as being the glorious or radiant bride. They would have appreciated that because so much of the culture was saying, Diana this, Diana, we worshiped it. Everything was wrapped around worship of Diana in that occultic uh, present, presence there. But Paul makes a distinction in Ephesians 5.27, and we'll see that later, about the church being a glorious, radiant bride. So he's putting the church up against what, they, what their culture is like. So he makes a distinction there, and we'll get to that. But because of Paul's preaching the gospel there in Ephesus, many of the people were turning away from their occultic practices to, to the goddess, forsaking it all for what they called back then as the way. They weren't called Christians necessarily there, but uh, many of the people were called followers of the way. So these people were turning away from the occultic practice. They were worshiping, involved in all this spiritual um, worship of demons and demonic type things in this city. And but, but because of Paul's preaching, these people were turning it away. They were throwing their books away. There were riots going on because it was disrupting the whole culture in this city. Um, the gospel was uh, through Paul's preaching. So Paul's mentioning in chapter 6 of preparing for war against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places would have struck those people who were reading this letter in a very special way that he was giving them tools to be able to um, fight this cultural battle of uh, which was demonic really because these people were coming from the occult out of this worship of this uh, demonic force uh, which we'll get to later in the book Uh, paul covers so much so many things in this in this letter but um one thing i want to read before we get going here i want to look at acts 11 20 just so you can see that um we're still doing the 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 nerd study part here bear with me it it will help your understanding of what's going on and why he's writing these things. Talking about the spiritual, the spiritual war that was going on there. And so many times we still see those spiritual wars. It may not be manifested in the same types of physical ways. Sometimes it is, but um, it's talking about the sons of Sceva or Sceva. How do you say it? Sceva, yeah. Um, so we'll start in verse 11 here, chapter 19 and verse 11. This is why Paul was in Ephesus. So we're going to give a little bit of background for this. We're going to be real studious on this. I promise you it's going to help you when we go through the rest of this letter. So we've got to lay these foundations first. 
It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched his skin, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant uh, uh, Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So you had these Jewish guys coming up saying, oh, we're going to get rid of these demons. We're going to do it ourselves." This seems to be working for these guys, naming the name of Jesus. So these guys come up, and it says, they start invoking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over those who had evil spirits, saying, I, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. It didn't even say that they knew him or proclaimed him, but it said, by the name of the Lord Jesus over whom... Uh, of whom Paul proclaims in verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. It talked back to the guys. They're sitting there doing, trying to do an exorcism. This is some weird stuff, guys. Like, you imagine being here for this. I'm just saying, it's not just a story. You're sitting there like, these people are like growling and stuff like, hey, we're trying to exercise it. Well, this ain't working. Let's start using the name of Jesus. So they start using the name of Jesus, and then the Spirit starts talking back to him. He says, um, but the evil spirit answered him, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all, them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of, those who were now, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. This is what it was talking about. These people were coming, they were getting saved, they were putting this stuff off like, no, nah, we, can't, we can't do this life anymore. This Jesus has just, like, there's something about him that's... that's, that's more powerful than the things that we're following and it says they started divulging their practices in verse 19 and and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all man that's repentance these guys are throwing all this stuff all of their their craft that they've been working on they they're throwing it in the fire they counted all the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver so the word of the lord continued to increase and prevail mightily so you see there, there was crazy spiritual warfare going on in Ephesus because of these occultic practices of them worshiping Diana and Artemis. Um, this was such a big thing that even now in some occultic practices, they still look at Diana as, as um, a goddess that they worship. It's mainly, she was uh, mainly like the god of the woods, if I remember right. But the main ones that worship them now is, are the Wiccans. The Wiccans will look to her um, for guidance and things of that nature. So it's still going on, and that, that's only one aspect of spiritual warfare. But that's not the main point. But I want you to get what the culture was like. These people were living in, in this kind of culture, a real evil, oppressed-type culture of, of occult practices. But there were believers in Ephesus initially because of this. I want you to catch this. There were believers in Ephesus initially because of the faithful ministry of Aquila and Priscilla. This couple, a faithful ministry of them talking to one people, like one one on one, 
people getting saved, Jesus saving people, because of their faithful ministry, there was a small church there that began because of their ministry. Paul left them in Ephesus on his way to Syria. He had dropped them off. They were like, no, just stay with us now. He's like, I can't stay. So they stopped, and God did a work in that, that couple. Were they apostles? No. They were faithful to the gospel. They were teaching those people whom they came into contact with, and their birthed a church in Ephesus. But Paul ended up coming back, and he stayed in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, and he pastored there for around three years. He then left Timothy there for around a year and a half. So this is where the kind of the setting is going on. Uh, this is what's going on in Ephesus. Um, that's the culture they were living in. This is what Paul knows that these Christians are dealing with as he's writing this letter to them. So just know those things, and we're going to try to get into this uh, chapter here um, as we're going in. Hopefully we're done with all the, the nerd work. You'll probably hear some more here or there, but I needed to lay that foundation instead of just jumping in so we kind of understand what's going on. But in this chapter, uh, you've heard this in a discipleship group, in this chapter, Paul shows us the involvement of the whole Trinity in our salvation. I want you to see that. I want you to, when you're reading through it, go this week and I want you to read through Ephesians. Just read through it. Read it more than once. It's not long. Just keep reading through it. And keep reading through chapter 1 because that's where we are right now. Read through it and you'll see over and over that it's repeated in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Him, in Christ. All these things that Christ has done, but it shows the past, present, and the future. You were saved because of this. You are saved now because of what Christ has done. And you're saved ongoingly because of the Spirit. You'll see Him as He writes those things through chapter 1, how all three of the Trinity was involved in your salvation. Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But before we begin this letter in the coming weeks, and even into this chapter, we need to lay out some more important groundwork about who God is and an understanding of who God is before he, we get into these things Paul is going to discuss. Let's take the very first part here in this, in this chapter. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, by the will of God, what does by the will of God mean? Initially, you hear that, and you're like, well, it just means, you know, the will of God. Yeah, it's the will of God. So what, is God, what, what does by the will of God mean? I believe, before we move any for, further in this letter, I believe with all my heart that if we can understand this, this will lay the foundation for everything Paul is going to say in this letter, especially in this first half, because some people have a hard time processing through it. You have a hard time. I had a hard time dealing with it. I'm telling you, if you can settle this in, in your heart now, today, hopefully this week as you go back and study it some more, it will totally lay the foundation for everything Paul is saying. I'm repeating myself on purpose because it's that important. Many of the things Paul says in this letter, in this chapter, and even the next chapter, many pastors don't touch. And I'm not saying none of them do. I'm just saying they don't preach it. They won't preach it. They won't touch it with a 40-foot pole. They'll skip around it as if there can be no answer to the text. Or they don't like it because of what the text does say, and they've never been taught, taught it themselves. And I'm absolutely not saying I'm the only one who has ever taught it. Absolutely. Chuck, Chuck knows that he's 
taught these, these things to. Um, it's not like I'm the only one here. I'm the last of them. Oh, woe is me, Lord. I'm the only one preaching it. That's not what's happening. I'm absolutely not saying that. I'm saying this, that I never heard any of these things growing up being taught. And had I learned them early in my salvation, I believe my walk wouldn't have been so unsettling at times. Because once we walk through these things, you'll understand how much control God has over your life. And if he's got it, you don't have to have it. You shouldn't feel like you have to have it. That's the application for us. Once you see that God's got it this kind of way, it, it won't be so unsettling. Your walk won't be unsettling. You'll know he's, he's, he's sovereign. He's the one that has all, all things in his hands. I believe, I believe if I had learned this earlier that I would have been more steadfast in who God is. And I think it was missed just in where I grew up. Now, some of you guys may have heard these things, and that's fine. I did not grow up with those things, and it changed my life once it settled into my heart. You get them up here, and then it settles in your heart, and you know you have nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about. If God is for you, truly, who can be against you? If he's directed his love towards you, and he's changed your life, there's nothing anyone can do about it. Nothing. There's nothing anyone, including yourself. Look at Paul. We're going to look at Paul here in a second. There's nothing he could have, he couldn't have gotten in the way of what God wanted to do with him. There's just no way. So I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Which book is our authority? What book, what book in life is our main authority? The Bible. The Bible is our main authority. The Word of God. Who is our authority? God. Jesus Christ is our authority. So when you read the scripture in light of what, is, what it is saying in all of scripture, these things will become more plain to you, and we know that this is the authority. We know that he is the authority. The word of God is the authority. It's not man's opinions. It's, not, it's what it says. What it is saying to us is the authority to us. Now, I want you to understand when Paul is writing some really hard things to hear and some th hard things to understand, he wasn't, uh, we, are, we may not be the only people who think it was hard to understand. Paul wasn't trying to trick us, although when you read some of his stuff, you'd say, what are you doing? Like, why are you, what, I mean, are you trying to confuse me? Like, why are you writing it this way? But Paul, I promise, he's our brother. He was an apostle. He was wanting us to get what he's saying. He wasn't trying to trick us or confuse us in any kind of way in this letter. He was just stating truth about God, what he, know, what he knew to have happened to him in his life, what God had expressed to him in his time before he revealed that he had seen Christ. But even Peter said about Paul that some things that Paul says are hard to understand. He said it in 2 Peter 3.16 that some things that Paul says, are, they're hard to understand, but some people were taking it and twisting it and going all kinds of ways with it. But we need to know what Paul meant by these things. Paul will say some things in this letter that many of us might not have thought were made, or we might have thought that they were made up by man, but because it, had, uh, it may have never been brought up or shown in Scripture by those teaching us in years past, which is my where I came came from I just never heard it taught but again I say I believe with all my heart that if we can understand this first phrase here this will lay the foundation for everything Paul is going to say in this letter so let's get into this let's go ahead like D says let's go on ahead with it 
All right. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In Scripture, we have at least these two main examples of the will of God. And I want to lay these two things out. These, okay, we got rid of a lot of the nerdy stuff. Okay, the background, the history, all that stuff. Okay, now let's get into what Paul is presenting to us just in the simple phrase. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not all Paul. This is the Holy Spirit relaying something to us that in his pen that he said this. By the will of God, there are two, not two wills, but there are two aspects of God's will that we need to understand as we move forward. You have one, the will of decree. And we'll read that in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. And you have a will of command that he commands things. You have a decree and you have commands. Now let's read this. I want you to go ahead and turn with me because I want you to see it. Isaiah 46, 5 through 10. We're going to read that. It may be up here. I can't remember if I put it up. Yep, it's up there. So however you want to read it. Let's go ahead and get into it. This is the Lord talking. He says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare with me? Who, who do you have that can be my equal? Is what he's saying. That we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a God and they fall down and worship. This is what he's talking about. They were doing it then in the time of Isaiah making statues of, uh, of different sizes to fall down and worship, just as they had Diana in Ephesus. They lift, it up, they lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. It's just a statue. I love the way the Lord talks about these statues. Like, they're dumb. They're dumb. They can't hear. They can't speak. What are you doing? That's what he said. He's like, he mocks them all the time, the, the little idols they make. And then he says, remember this and stand firm. Basically, another verse, it'll say, be men. Make yourself men. Be, show yourself courageous. Recall this to mind. You transgressors, you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God. El, I am strength. I am, I am almighty. And there is no other. I am God, Elohim, the plural, the supreme Godhead. And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying this, My, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. I will. It will be done. Everything that he decrees will it most definitely be done. There's no stopping it. You cannot get in the way of it. You could stand in front of him all you want. You could get run over. It's just, you won't stop this, this will of decree. It most definitely will come to pass. These decrees always come to pass. Always come to pass. I want you to get that. Always. Commands of decree or will of decree always comes to pass. And then you have the, you have the will of command. And I want you to, you can turn to this if you want to. I may have it up there. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. This is Paul talking to the church at the Thessalonians. So we're staying inside of what Paul has said. Then you have a little bit of what God has said about his decree. 
So in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, you have this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For what? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Con- well, like for you, concerning you, for you. So let me ask you this. If this is the will of God, how many times have you always rejoiced? Have you always rejoiced over everything? Have you always prayed without ceasing? Have you always given thanks in every single circumstance? No, but it's the will of God. So now we sit here and we have two different aspects of God's will. And we don't know, okay, we kind of have to wrestle with that a little bit. We don't always obey these commands, although they are the will of God. These things do not always come to pass. Okay, we read in, in Isaiah what he said, my will in this, in this way, this decree will always come to it. I will, I will accomplish all of my will. I will accomplish it. Nothing will get in its way. And then you have these things that are the will of God. They are commands. They do not, they do not always come to pass. God can command that things be done in this aspect of his will and there be disobedience in them. Now, if there's something that he decrees, there is no disobedience. It happens. It will come to pass. You have this one, the will of, um, you have the will of command that can, that can be disobeyed. And I'll give you the for instance. You'll see it very plainly now. God commands us, do not lie. But we do. We do lie. He, he commands everyone, do not steal. But they do. We do steal. Um, he commands us he commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel to be repenting and believing the gospel but the majority do not and will not so he's commanded this you know this is God's will because he has said do not do these things but they get disobeyed so you have the will of decree whatever he decrees it's going to happen write it down in stone whatever it's going to happen nothing's going to stop it okay will of command uh, do this, don't do this, and it gets broken. Um, go this place, go that place. Oh, I didn't. Now there's consequences. Okay, you, so now you see that we have two aspects of the will of God. You have will of decree and will of command. So, now that we have made this distinction that God's will has two aspects, when we see the passage that says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, is it a will of decree or is it a will of command? So you sit there and you have to, you have to ask yourself, which, which is it? Did, Paul, did, did God command him to be an apostle or did he decree him to be a, an apostle? So then you have, we have to wrestle with that. So let's go to Galatians 1. I want you to see what Paul said. We'll stay inside of Paul here for this because Paul's the one speaking. We'll, we'll go to somewhere else that he spoke. Galatians 1, 15 through 16. I think I, yep, I have that up there. But you can turn how, whatever you want to do. I'll give you a second and I will take some water. This is Paul speaking to the church at, Gal- at Galatia. It says in chapter one, 1, verse 15 through 16, 
But when he, God, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone and he goes on and goes on about what, what had happened when he became saved and saw Jesus. But it says, But when he, God, who had set me apart before I was born, before I was born, Paul says, God willed that Paul would be an apostle before he was born. God didn't command him to be an apostle before he was born because Paul wasn't there to obey the command. So there you have two. So obviously what do we say this has to be? It has to be a will of decree that he said, you will be my apostle, you will be mine. You, and Paul says it, I mean, I'm, I'm a slave of Christ, I'm a bondservant of Christ. And it's because he knows this fact about God's calling him to himself. <laughs> we'll go in to see what Luke says in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, 10 through 16. It, it'll, show, it'll back it up even more from a different perspective. Acts uh, 9, 10 through 16. Yeah, I have it up there too if you want to read it there. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Pay attention to this. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He is a chosen instrument of mine, is what he says. This is what the Lord told Ananias. So according to this passage, God saved Paul and made him an apostle by sovereign will of decree. Sovereign will of decree. There was nothing that was going to stop Paul from, one, being saved and knocked off his horse or knocked off his horse and saved, whichever, from seeing the Lord that day. Nothing was going to stop him from being saved. I want you to get this. If God wants you saved and you're sitting here saved, there's nothing that was going to stop you from getting saved. That's how much he's in control. If he, you'll read, we'll read in later on in the letter that it says that he's given his love towards us. You remember in the last series I talked about that. If he is holy and it says that he is love, all of that intensity of his holiness is intense just as much so in his love towards his children. And we'll talk about that later too as we go on through this letter in the coming weeks. 
So he he was that he was made he made him an apostle and a child of God and a brother of ours by sovereign will of decree. Did Paul make moves into this calling? Did he have some? Did he do some? Yes, he wanted to do God's will. So we'll have to get into that too. He wanted to. He had the want to do God's will. But that came from God's sovereign decree, like that He said you were going to be mine. That that should blow your mind if you have been saved and you've seen your life change that God cares so much that there's nothing going to stop him from getting you I want I want you to remember this God is never the loser never there's never people he says oh man I wish I could have saved them we're going to get into that there's not he's never the loser God does not lose he is in control of every single thing you cannot ever even put it in that light that Oh man, I bet God's disappointed that you know when we're all like no. Now we don't know why he does things and that's not for us to know why he does things cuz we're not God. But we're going to get into those things and that's why I'm laying this heavy heavy foundation so we can comprehend what Paul is about to say in the next couple of chapters. So God so Paul wanted to do God's will. So does this mean that God can command what he does not decree we're getting into some sticky stuff here can god command to for people to do something what he does not decree see now we're getting into some weeds right i'll say it again so does this mean that god can command what he has not decreed can he command what he has not decreed Remember, you have the two will, like not two wills. They're, they're one will. It's two aspects of his will. We're getting some deep water. Put on your floaty. I'm, I'm out here with a lifesaver, so come on out. We're swimming. We're getting out there. It's deep. So can God command what he does not decree? God commands Pilate. I want you to remember. Remember who Pilate is? Pilate it was the guy that was in charge of Jesus being crucified. God commands Pilate. As he does everyone else, do not murder. But Pilate and the men of Jerusalem murdered Jesus, just as God's counsel determined before to be done. That's in Acts 2.23. If you want to go back and read, I'm not, I don't have it up there. In Acts 4.27-28. He tells Pilate, Pilate's under the same command as everyone else is, do not murder do not murder. And all of the men of Jerusalem, do not murder. Don't murder. But it says that they murdered Jesus just as God's counsel determined to be done. So he can command something that he didn't decree. You see what I'm, you see what I'm saying? You can break the will of God to obey the will of God. That's what's going to blow your mind. I want you to sit there and process for a second. You can break the will of God to obey the will of God make sense see this is why we need to know what will of God means you can break the will command of God to obey the decree of God you got it you with me this, oh, man I wish Brittany and Samuel were here because I wanted to use the Matt Chandler thing are you tracking with me because I told them I was going to do that like when they were here and they're not here so yeah he broke the command. Exactly. So you have two wills of God, and we need to know that we need to know this 
before we go into the next few chapters because Paul's going to hit us with some sledgehammer things that maybe you've never heard. And um, so Paul, he don't play around. He hits it straight. So God can, you can, break the, you can break the command of God to obey the decree of God. God can, he, God can command that things not be done that he decrees to be accomplished. You with me? Is there like is everybody with me? It's getting like we're still sweating. Our legs getting our, ti- our legs are getting tired. You know we're wading out here in the, in the ocean. You with me? God God can command that things not be done that He decrees to get accomplished. So there's where it, okay that's where it, the dividing line is. So what does this mean for us? Like what does this mean for us at all? Who is in total control of all things? You see how much in control like. If you're saved sitting here today, it, we say it's a miracle, but you see how much more so it is. Like nothing was going to stop God from getting to you. Nothing at all was going to stop him. If God is as big as he is and as powerful as he is, we have nothing to worry about as his children. If, he, if nothing could get in his way to actually saving you and knocking us off of our horse, and showing himself to us the same way Paul was seen in the same manner. The blinders came off. We saw Jesus for who he was. Beforehand, we heard, yeah, I've heard about Jesus. And then you see, oh, I see. You're holy. I'm not holy. The fact that nothing can stop him from saving us is powerful. We have nothing to worry about as his children. Why? Because he is good. Not only is he powerful and he's intense and everything about him is intense. The love, the holiness, everything is just, oh, it's just intense, too much for us. But it's because he is good. As we'll see in the rest of this letter, he has poured out every good thing on his people. And if he's poured out every good thing on his people, we have everything we could possibly need and more so exactly the amount of grace that we need to get through the day, get through the week, to get through whatever situation it is. If he's given us every good thing because he is good and he loves his people in that intensity, with that kind of sovereignty, then you have not one thing to worry about. Although it does, it, it, it's unsettling when you're in the middle of it, but if you can hold on to the fact that he is in control, it will get you through. You'll be able to lay your head down on the pillow at night. That You'll be like... God, you've got this. I don't have to try to control this. I'm going to go to sleep. You've got it. And however it plays out, I'm following you. You've got it. That's what it means for us. Every good grace has been pointed towards us to get through what we have to get through. I pray that through this series, you will see the contrast of what we've been given in Christ. People that's in our discipleship group have seen that contrast in a quick manner. I'm wanting to show everyone the contrast between God and us and what he's given us in Christ. But as we're closing, let's read this last part of this greeting. We're just in the greeting of what Paul is relaying to us. Ephesians 1, the second part of 1 and 2, says, To the saints who are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, those who are faithful in him, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking by the authority and under the inspiration of Holy Spirit. And it makes me think every time we open this, 
it's grace to us. And peace, it should be peace to us. How many of you, whenever you wake up in the morning and you go through the day and it's just like, it's just awful. Everything is just like, bleh. Like, I'm angry. Like, I want to punch somebody. But then you open the word or somebody tells you to because you're just being that ugly. Well, you need to go read your Bible. Like, like, And then you go read it. You open it up and you're like, okay. You just, the more you read it, it's just like, ah, okay, grace and peace. I mean, we overlook these things. Like, why? He said that in every letter. He would start it off, grace, grace to you, and, and, and he has some sort of peace. Like, he's not just, he knows that the Lord is on him, that he is, what he's saying is inspired. He's inspiring the church to have grace and peace when they're reading this, they're reading this letter. Imagine, like I said at the beginning, they're, they, they, they receive the letter. It comes in the room as if somebody walked in here and said, here, we got a letter from Paul. You're like, oh, okay. You know, like if we, our, our, our people working overseas, they have a letter and it's like, oh, let's read it. You know, it's like you get excited and they read this letter and it's like grace and peace to you. Like, okay, Paul's, he's doing okay. He's for us. You know, it's like, okay, grace and peace to us. We're going to be all right. But he says that he says these things to make us feel good. Like we've had a tough day. Things seem out of order, but you get in the word and it straightens everything out. My back has been crooked. So it's like going to the chiropractor. You know, that just you know, you get straightened out. You go to the word and get everything straightened out. When you're you're angry, when you feel like you're you're out of things are out of control, you read this, you are out of control. You can't do any of this. God has it. Quit quit trying to take it from him. You trying to wrestle with God? I was talking to talking to Charles the other day. You wrestle with God. What's he going to do? He's going to be like, okay, that's enough. Boop. Put your hip out of socket, and you'll remember the rest of your life. You'll remember the rest of your life. Stop trying to control the situation. And I know a lot of people in here today have that on their heart. They're trying. They're having, They're struggling with the situation that they're in. They're they're struggling with control over it. Let go. Stop. And I, I, it's easier said than done. I've been there. You know, you're just like, oh, but, uh, just, uh. no, just, just stop. Just stop. God's got this. He had it before you were born. He had it. He, had, he already had it. It's been done. Decreed. Before you were born. We'll get into that. That'll be up, up next. It's in the batter's box. Or in the cir- circle. What do you call it? Getting up to bat. Yeah. We should, this is what I want you to get. You should expect, when, when things are seemingly out of order, we should expect grace from the word of God. We should expect peace from the word of God. And you'll, you'll find it. Go to it looking for it. And we should find rest in his presence by his grace, by getting into these letters. And even, any of it, but especially these letters. But as we finish up here, I, this is it. As we move forward into this letter to the church at Ephesus, let us find grace and peace in knowing who God is and how much he's got us. That we would stop worrying. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. It's just stuff's too big for us and it seems overwhelming. It is. Just realize it is overwhelming. It's too much for us. 
We can't handle it. We can't get a grasp on it. It's too big. We can't get our arms around it. God's got it. He's got it. And if he is for us and he's good and his sovereign decree has come over you and you're standing here in a life of repentance, what have you got, what have you got to worry about? This letter to the Ephesians, this is what it's going to do to you, so get, get ready. This letter to the Ephesians will knock us down to size, then lift us up to where Christ has placed us in humility, and then send us on our way with instructions on what to do with his grace given to us. We give it to others. It's almost like a dad talk. I mean, you're just sitting there, I got all these problems. Boom, boom, boom. Knock you down to size, and you're feeling all like, eh. he's like, no, but I've done this for you. I've done this for you. Now go give it to everybody. Go on, youngin. Go do it. So let's go. Go study. Go read through Ephesians, and 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 just let the Lord speak to you. Let's pray. Lord, we. We are amazed each time we get to speak to you. Lord, you're just so powerful. And you're our dad. Lord, you love us so intensely. And you've called us to your holiness. You've called us to be like you. You've known about this always. It never occurred to you about us. There's no time frame. There's no order with you. You've seen it all at once, at one time. Lord, I take great honor in knowing that your people have always been in your heart, have always been in your essence. Lord, I pray that we would see you in the way that you want to be seen, the way you are, and that we would see ourselves in that light as we go through this letter that you use Paul to write. Lord, guide us through this letter. Show us where we need to be. Show us what we need to carry out of here. Show us how we battle your enemies. Show us how to stand strong and stand firm in you because of what you've done. We know it without a shadow of a doubt. You have given us the truth and you have put it in our heart and you have changed our lives and we are walking in repentance. Lord, let us stand firm in that. And let us move forward in boldness and and courageousness. Lord, give us the courage that we need to take this grace to others. Lord, you've got it. It's not on our shoulders to win people it's not but Lord we are to be faithful with this grace that you've given us and not and not waste it not waste a drop go with us the rest of this day and into this week and as we go into this neighborhood Lord give us opportunities to share this grace the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news that you have come to rescue us in Jesus name Amen